Welcome to To Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. While we usually broadcast our discussion live every Wednesday, during this Lenten season, we will instead broadcast a portion of the Lenten midweek services at St. Luke Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Ontario. We will resume our normal discussions during Holy Week. Thanks for tuning in, and we wish you a blessed Lenten season. Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem, O Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Our Old Testament reading is Genesis 3, 1-21. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, 
The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Here ends our Old Testament reading. Our epistle is Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Here ends our epistle reading. Our gospel is Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. Genesis Chapter 3, verse 1. Did God actually say? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. I still to this day find it fascinating when someone hears 
something from the Bible, or I share with them something from the Bible, and they say, did God actually say that? I bite my tongue. I think to myself, yes, God did actually say that. Do you realize that you're quoting the serpent, the enemy of God? I don't say that because that wouldn't help anything, but that's my thought. Do you know that you're quoting God's enemy? This is what started the fall. Did God actually say? Temptation. We today question God's word. So many of us. Did God really say that? Does God really mean that? Or was that just for that time? What's going on? What does God want to communicate to us really? You hear people say things like, well, the Bible contains God's word, which is just a kind of a fancy way of saying, well, yeah, God's word's probably in there somewhere, but who knows where and how much of it is really God's word. We have to simply take the Bible as God's inspired word that he wanted us to have. Now, put yourself in God's shoes for a minute and and think about his great love for you and think about how he wanted to communicate his love for you. And so he inspired his writers to write down what he wanted them to write down. Did God actually say? Yes, he did. We have it in scripture. Now, people bring up arguments. Well, those texts are old and people copied them and there could be mistakes in there and all that stuff. Well, interestingly enough, the Old Testament scriptures were so well maintained, copied and treasured and treated as the precious gift that they are. There are very few textual questions about the Old Testament texts. They're rock solid. Now, you say, well, what about the New Testament? Are there textual questions? Well, sure there are. People copied a little different scenario in the New Testament because what what the, the motivation was, was to get the word out. In the Old Testament, God's word was protected and kept in a certain place. In the New Testament, the goal was to get the word out. Go, therefore, into all nations. All of that. So people made copies of the New Testament gospels and epistles that they had, and they would, they would take them with them and go. Now, interestingly enough, the more textual study that's done, the more we realize we have a really rock-solid basis for our New Testament. That, yeah, there may be an occasional word, but none of these textual questions is of doctrinal significance. There's there's nothing important in what may be a question in the reading of a text. And I can bore you a little bit. No one here to talk back to me. It's kind of fun because the more textual research that's done, people have learned so much. They see that certain families of manuscripts that were copied at a certain time and went out, they may all contain a certain mistake or miss a certain line. But then they look at another family of manuscripts that went out and they say, oh, well, this one matches this one, so this one must be an error. But it's it's neat because you see the duplication of errors, which of course then shows that, okay, this word might have been dropped or misspelled. When people were making copies in the New Testament, there would be times when someone would stand in a room and simply read the text out. And there would be 10 or 15 people there copying, copying and writing down. They didn't have photocopiers. They were literally writing down what the person was reading out loud. So if the person skipped a line as they were reading, well, then all those 10 or 15 people copying also skipped that line because they didn't hear it. And it, it ends up being quite a neat scientific study to see, well, 
Where did that manuscript originate? Where did it come from? And all the work that all is being done, it just further emphasized the fact that the New Testament that we've had, that's always been there, we have a special term for it. It's called the Textus Receptus. The one that's always been there is rock solid and good. You need not doubt it. Experts have said, this is good. Our New Testaments that we have are excellent. Did God really say? Yes. Now, there's that kind of practical question about, is that really God's word? But now we have to think about the spiritual implications when we say, did God really say? And we all question God. We are sinful people. We question God. We think that we're smarter than God sometimes. And we read something in the Bible and we say, what does God mean by that? Did he really mean to say that? So we can plant little seeds of doubt in ourselves and start to think that the scriptures aren't that accurate, or maybe it's not really what God wanted to say, but no, they are very accurate. Because as I mentioned earlier, think about God's perspective from God's perspective and how he feels about you. He loves you. He cares about you. And he wants to communicate to you his great love, his wonderful mercy. He wants you to know his son. He wants you to know Jesus, who gave up his very life for you so that you would have eternal life. When you love someone, you want to continue to communicate with them so that you make sure they're okay. And, and also that they know that you love them. That's just a basic principle in human relationships. Now think how much greater it is in our relationship with God. Our eternity depends on our staying in a good communication state with God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, God wanted to make sure that we would continue to hear his word and be sure and know that it is, in fact, his word. We doubt. We are sinful human beings. We doubt. But the remedy for doubt is to listen to God. The remedy for doubt is to get yourself back in God's word. The remedy for doubt is not to say, did God really say? But to say to yourself, this is what God said. This is a wonderful message. This calms my troubled soul. This soothes my broken heart. This helps me think in a way that's positive and helpful to others and to myself. God's word, this is the remedy that we all need. The remedy for our sin. Because through that precious word of God, God comes to us. The, the Word of God is never naked. It, the, the Holy Spirit accompanies that Word of God, and the Holy Spirit works in our heart, works in our spirit, and strengthens our faith in Him who gave His very life for us. God is love and wants to keep you safe in those precious arms of Jesus. Did God really say? Did God really say that we're sinful people? Yes. Did God really say that He loves the whole world? Yes. Did God say that he sent his only begotten son? Yes. Yes. Is the wonderful message from God that Jesus removes our sins and promises us eternal life? Yes. Did God really say that he will take us into a blessed eternity? Yes. Did God say he cares for you in, in a way that you can't even begin to fathom? Yes. So many things God has said to us to comfort us, to console us, to strengthen us, to nurture us, to lead us and to guide us. 
in that path which he would have us follow. He loves you and wants to continue to communicate with you. Don't doubt his word. Don't listen to the enemy because the enemy wants you simply to ignore what God says. That was the trick you played on Adam and Eve. Did God really say, no, you're not going to die? He was leading them to doubt God's word. And then, of course, the fall came. The fall, where their relationship with God was disturbed, broken. And God, of course, stepped in and reassured them and comforted them and led them and guided them into his truth. We need to repent. We need to repent of our doubting God's word. We need to look to God's word and hold it fast and sure and secure so that God continues to strengthen our faith, to forgive us our sins, and to lead us in the path which he would have us follow. Did God really say? Yes. God said, I love you and I forgive you. God says, I sent my son for you so that you could be with me for time and eternity. Think about how much you love people in your life. And then multiply that by a thousandfold. That's how God feels about each and every one of you. He loves you to the point of bleeding and dying so that you would be with him forever and ever. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.